Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. A few years ago, TV execs in America discovered that you could have two cliffhanger endings in a series by chopping it in half and broadcasting it in two parts. Think Breaking Bad or The Walking Dead. It's yet another trend that seeped into football and one that as we approach season 2019-2020 part two, I hope doesn't continue in years to come. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast where we're getting ready to pick up from where we left off in the middle of March. Just in case you thought it was a quiet week, we've got City's appearance at the Court of Arbitration for Sport to get us going and we'll be previewing next Wednesday's return to action as City host Arsenal behind closed doors. I'm your host David Mooney and joining me on this week's show we've got Gaz. Hello. And One Football's Dan Burke. Hello. Uh, it feels good to uh, to be to be doing a, a proper show again. Um, so, so so thank you both for joining us. Are you both well? Not bad thanks. Yeah yourself? I can't complain. Gaz you okay? Uh, well, yeah it's hard work isn't it but it's the same for everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, it, I mean, it feels weird not being with each other as well, talking about City like this. So it's. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll kind of muddle on as best we can. Anyway, um, back in February, UEFA banned City from the Champions League for two years after finding them in breach of their financial fair play regulations. City maintain their innocence and say that they've got an irrefutable body of evidence and that a campaign against them has been orchestrated and clear. At the time of recording, we've got no verdict, and with the hearing taking place via video link and with no journalists present, we're going to be a bit unaware of what was said in the hearing until the verdict is announced. We're expecting a verdict in uh, in July. Um, first off, I, I want to ask you both, Gaz. Uh, start with you. What's what, what's your what's your kind of gut feeling about the whole situation? How how are you feeling about it all? Um, what what do I think is going to happen? Uh, not or... necessarily. Just kind of. Uh, I mean, I, I I just feel weary with the whole with the whole situation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I suppose so. I think I think, um, I, and and it's just sort of tied up in the sort of wider uh sort of uh, it's all tied up in the wider issues around the ownership isn't it i suppose um and particularly without any games to sort of distract people from that <laughs> it can feel it, well although i'm sure some people actually seem to prefer talking about that kind of stuff uh it does it does take its toll a bit because it, you know it it, it 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 never seems to get moved you know the conversation never seems to move on really yeah dan i, n- I never started supporting city to to look at spreadsheets you know what i mean no, me neither. It's been a nice, it's been one of the sort of silver linings of the this whole pandemic situation that we haven't had to think about this for a little while, actually, because it was, you know, even even after the, the, the initial verdict was announced in February, every sort of game we went into, it was being talked about, it was being talked about on social media all the time. And then, you know, coronavirus struck and everything was off the table, wasn't it? Like, in terms of how, how, how I feel about it at the moment, like my hunch all along has been that the sort of two-year ban I'm, I'm, i mean this is purely a hunch it's not based on anything really but the the two-year ban was a sort of like 
uh, first shot across the bowels kind of thing. And I have a feeling that when it goes through the, the court of arbitration for sport, it might end up getting knocked down to a one-year ban and that will be seen as a, a bit of a compromise. But, you know, who knows? We'll see. Yeah, Gal, so I mean, in, in terms of impact on players, uh, assuming that City are banned for either two years or, or one year, um, what, what do you think it will be on the, on, on the current squad? Um, some will leave. Uh, not many, I imagine. Probably two or three. Um, I always got the impression that, um, you know, Sterling never uh, wanted to be... But once, well, not one. No, I always got the impression that sort of Sterling always had sort of ambitions to to probably play in, in Spain as well, uh, and and that could sort of be the catalyst for that. If so, you know, fair play to him. Um, yeah, he's been he's, he's given us good service. Not to write, <laughs> he raised the victory a bit too early. Um, <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd be bothered if De, if if De Bruyne went. Um, but again, you, you know, him Silver, they're the ones you'd be you'd be looking at um, possibly leaving. Um. Uh. Yeah. I think. I think one year would help us keep keep hold of him really. And it's not just about whether they want to go or not as well. It. 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 it I'm sure it kind of depends on where they're up to with their contracts as well. Yeah, uh, Dan. In, in terms of transfers as well, I mean, there'd be a massive missing chunk of money. If it was two years in the worst case scenario, there'd, there'd, there'd be two years without that Champions League money to to be able to uh, balance the books with to, to to go and spend to bring some players in as well, wouldn't there? Yeah, I mean, obviously that that is that's not ideal, but I am quite positive about the outcome. Thinking about it, I mean, you know, you look at Chelsea; they had that transfer ban last summer. Um, they weren't able to spend money for for a whole transfer window um, and didn't spend any in January in the end. I don't think so. They've sort of, you know, they're, they're looking at like Timo Werner now and a couple of other players. So that they've sort of saved up a bit of money that they're gonna going to splurge this summer I think and and in the meantime they, they've had a quite a good season so far they've ended up giving a few youth players a chance which I think the fans have enjoyed um, the pressure for results has been off for them somewhat and it would be the same with City and I think in terms of players that we'd be targeting like you know I think that there are still big players that would want to come to City without Champions League football but they might also be kind of looking at a few B-list players which might not be the worst thing in the world either you know I, I, one of my big frustrations with City's sort of transfer strategy is that we have this big scouting network and yet the only players we seem to buy are these ready-made stars for, you know, 50, 60, 70 million. And it would be nice if we unearthed someone like Riyad Mahrez from the French second division and spent half a million on him. And a few years later, he was worth, you know, 70 million pounds. Um, that never seems to happen with City. So it, w- it would be interesting to see if we could kind of actually invest a bit more money in our scouting system and, and go for these uh, these lesser names. How about the games themselves, guys? Would you, would you miss the Champions League? Um... Not the group game. I I absolutely hate the group stage. <laughs> it's just so tedious and pointless. Um, uh, and yeah, very, very sort of happily not have to sort of go through that again. Um, but you, you can't deny that the, the, the knockout games, particularly once you sort of uh, get into the, the sort of quarterfinal, are, you know, big occasions. So um, whether you'd miss them... But this, this is the point, isn't it? Like, well, well I suppose particularly with City as well, because we we, we we never really seem to get, you know, get many, particularly many semi-finals or finals. I mean, you, you, there's not many of them to miss, um, <laughs> if, you know, if you know what I mean. But like, it's undeniable that like the big quarterfinals we've been in or the, you know, the one semi-final, they were... They were cracking games. Uh, you know, the, the same with the one which we, you know, which, which which happened a couple of months ago as well in Madrid. Um, 
Well, the whole way the way that the whole competition structured is so you've just got the, all this uh, uh, sort of padding and sort of blow, and then you, you you get a decent game come March when when typically actually you've always you've also got uh, by that point in time of the year you've actually got big games uh, domestically as well. Uh, at the time, so no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, wouldn't particularly miss it. But you know, maybe when those games roll around, you sort of think, "Oh, wish City were playing." And that is assuming that that's it, that fans could go to them, Dan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I'm uh, obviously based overseas, so I, I don't go to many games nowadays anyway. So I wouldn't miss that aspect of it. Um, yeah, like I said, when the, when the draw is made, I might feel a bit of FOMO. But I always feel with, with the Champions League, it's a bit of extra stress that I could do without every season. And the ideal scenario, if we are banned, would be to win the Champions League this year. Then we've got the monkey off our back, and then we can just kind of chill out for <laughs> one or two seasons, just watch everyone else playing in it, and and uh, you know do something else with our Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Yeah, um, I, I'm interested in this as well because um, Gaz, how how would a verdict of upholding UEFA's decision to, to ban City from the Champions League, how would that, that make you feel about the club, given the noises that have come out of the club? Because the club basically say, oh, you know, we've done nothing wrong, this is this is a stitch-up, you know, um, we've got irrefutable evidence that, that we haven't done what UEFA say we've done. And yet, if the Court of Arbitration for Sport, a neutral body, say, well, actually you have, then how's that going to make you feel? Um, th- not, not particularly any if, if different, really. I mean, I, I have reservations about... Uh, certain reservations about the owners of the club. Um, but I, I don't really have any sort of problem with breaking FFP because I, I just think that the rules as they're, as, as they're written just don't make any any sense. Because, well, well I mean, they, they didn't make sense, but I, I don't have any moral um, issues with sort of breaking rules, which, you know, are... Well, you know, I just, I just don't agree with particularly. I mean, so I mean, oh, oh, everything gets conflated, doesn't it? But what what City are um, accused of doing is inflating sponsorship deals beyond their market value. Um, but the the level of which we're supposedly inflated these deals aren't beyond the reach aren't beyond the reach of certain clubs. So essentially, what they've said to us is. And, and you know, and it probably you know might well be the case, and you know I can't. I don't I suppose we can't get into whether or not it happened or not. But like they're they're sort of saying, well, we don't. Manchester City can't generate these deals off their own back, but you know the figures involved, the Bayern Munichs of the world, the Barcelonas of the world, the Real Madrids of the world, you know, United, whatever they they can sort of generate those um, at a market value. So the 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 way that the rules are sort of structured. They just don't. They're just you know. They're not. They're not. They're not particularly fair. So I don't really have any, you know, moral issue with the club breaking them. It's like when people say you cheat. Is that yeah? You Maybe, but those laws are, are daft. It's like it's, it's you know the equivalent of you know a player removing his shirt and not getting booked. You know, in celebration. It's like well, <laughs> you know, I don't. I think that rule's daft anyway. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be particularly you know bothered about my team sort of getting away with it. Yeah, Dan. Do you think if if City are exonerated, do they have to do it in a way that that kind of provides the evidence that that they haven't done it, or would you be happy with the fact that that if they if it was on a technicality of of UEFA's uh, investigation, if something was wrong with the investigation, say, and the Court of Arbitration for Sports say, well, you can't ban them because you got you you you, you fucked up your investigation, basically. 
Well, not really, no. I mean, I mean, if they are found guilty at this point, given that the you know Farron Soriano has gone on record as saying they have irrefutable evidence, I would feel pretty betrayed if if that turned out to be complete nonsense because that's such a huge claim to make. You'd like to think they've got the receipts to back that up. Um, you, you know, I think whatever happens, the nature of social media and and that sort of stuff, particularly in a, in a football sense, means this isn't going to go away anytime soon. Even if City are totally exonerated, there's going to be people on one side crying conspiracy. And even if the ban is upheld, there's going to be City fans crying conspiracy. And I also feel like City are probably going to keep fighting this legally, um, even if the ban is upheld. And, you know, I don't think they will they will be able to mount a legal challenge in time to be able to play in, in next season's Champions League. But yeah, I, whatever happens, I can see this sort of dragging on for a long time and um, the tedium is just going to continue, really. Do you think the, Gaz, do you think that the, the, the relationship with UEFA can ever be repaired between City, the City fans and UEFA? Um, Probably not, no. I mean, well, I mean, there's, there's, there's a, there's, I'm sure there's a sort of spectrum of ill feeling among City fans towards UEFA, whereby, you know, sort of ranging from, you know, you know people who think it's, a, it's, 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 you know, UEFA aren't really fit for purpose to people who are like absolutely psychotically, <laughs> you know, crazy about UEFA. Um, but, and, 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 you know, and, and, and I don't think that's ever going to be, you know, yeah, I suppose on either side of that, people, it's not going to, I don't think any, anybody's going to have, feel like they have a good relationship with UEFA. But it, do, is there any club that's like, has a particular affinity for any governing body. <laughs> I don't think, you know. I do, I take that point, yeah. Yeah. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. We've talked on, on the negative side. I mean, there is a flip side to this kind, and David Grant raises it on Twitter. Uh, he asks, if City win the appeal against their Champions League ban, should they go on to challenge the whole notion of FFP? How can City be sought out for punishment when our near neighbours are hundreds of millions of pounds in debt? And it's it's a fair point, Don. It is. I mean, I always think that's a bit of a false equivalence, really, because United aren't really in debt as a club. It's the Glazers that have kind of saddled them with this debt. And, and on the flip side, City aren't really rich. It's it's our owners that are rich. You know, as a as a club, United makes such a healthy turnover that they can they can spend big in spite of that debt. While you know, City's turnover is improving year on year, but it's not quite at the the level of the Uniteds of this world yet. But I mean, with with FFP, I don't want to go too deep into it because I think we've spoken this a lot on the podcast. But I've always thought it was such an obvious crock of shit, and you know, it's called financial fair play but it's not fair at all is it it's it's a rule designed to kind of ring fence uh, uh, you know a, a certain group of clubs who have who have been making hay while the sun has shone for years with with their you know as Gaz alluded to earlier the sort of sponsorship deals that the Bayern Munichs of this world are able to negotiate a, a better than the one City can negotiate and they're always going to have that advantage if, if that's the case I think FFB has been like relatively successful in terms of one of the things that it aimed to do it was you know saving clubs from themselves and um you know, stopping clubs doing a Leeds or a Portsmouth. Um, but, you know, I've always thought if they always if they truly cared about fairness, there must be a better way of doing it than, than the current system. 
there must be like, why can't you introduce like a cap on the net amount you're allowed to spend per transfer window or or something along those lines? Yeah, I, I always thought wage caps might do it. Yeah, yeah, I think I think as well. Like just because FFP is what it is, uh, and City, you know, are, are sort of fighting it, uh, we need to be careful. Sort of casting City as like you know, a moral force in all this. Yeah. Because, they, you know, the way in which the club is run, it very much sort of sees itself as, you know, wanting to be in that sort of elite as opposed to sort of wanting to challenge it. Um, so I don't think, I don't know. I think it's a bit disingenuous when you hear, you know, certain City fans saying, oh, you know, we're doing this for everybody else because maybe... Maybe one day you too can be bought out by, you know, an incredibly wealthy uh, you know, <laughs> operation yeah. and, and live out all your dreams. I think the way which we as fans should probably approach it is say, like, look, it shouldn't have taken us being bought out by, uh, you know, um, a, a state investment fund to, to make us competitive. Um, we need, you know, the whole sort of structure of football needs to change. I mean, personally, the one thing I'd like to sort of... Um, see us as fans do is sort of challenge sort of things like you know we're we're for example we're part of the is the european clubs association and stuff like that i mean these that's absolutely awful you know the 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 type of like plans which they've got for the game and we're complicit in that so you know i think i think you know if you were if you don't know if you were a villa fan or whatever what looking at city and this sort of us and we're saying yeah we're we're um, uh, you know, fighting FFP for the good of everyone else. They could probably look at us and say, well, why are you in that association which is trying to, like, you know, ring fence off the Champions League and and, and things like that? I mean, there's, there's things which we can be doing and using sort of our sort of um, sort of perspective as a, of a, you know, non-elite club become elite to, to, to make things fairer for people. Uh, and that doesn't, that isn't just battling FFP. There's, there's like, you know, the whole structure there. The next litmus test of, of financial fair play will be um, if slash when Newcastle come into all this Saudi money, are they going to be able to spend the kind of money that they need to kind of move through the gears like City did over those years? Or is, is it just going to be completely out of their reach at this point? It's, it's going to be really interesting, I think. Yeah, Gaz, there's always a, a tweet of yours that I, I think back to, and it's it, it, it's about City's title in the 60s, where basically that sort of thing could not happen now. No, um Exactly, yeah. You know, that's the question City fans should sort of say is, you know, come back to it. It's like, you know, we used to, well, we, we used to, twice. <laughs> we, <won> a, <laughs> we, we, we were the champions of, of England under our own steam and you've got to kind of question why that just isn't possible anymore. Um, the whole Leicester aspect of it, you know, can sort of get brought up, but there's, you know, put that to one side, it's a complete freak. And, and they still spent uh, a lot of money, Leicester. And I still spent a lot of money, exactly. And, you know, they, they had some interesting ownership issues to sort of, and, you know, a lot spent to sort of get them into the premiership as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, I think this is kind of my issue with it all, is that, like, if FFP was part of a sort of suite of, like, measures to sort of make the game more equitable, then I think it would be justified. But on its own, it doesn't do anything. It just, all it does is... Uh, you know, take, you know, two teams that are currently competitive for the Champions League out of that equation. And that's it. That's all it does. 
Right, well, uh, on that cheery note, uh, the football <laughs> is back and uh, Project Restart has got off the ground. So after a successful return to training for the players and with a return of the Bundesliga in Germany, Sam Roscoe is going to talk us through how we got to this point. China has identified the cause of the mysterious pneumonia outbreak in Wuhan city and it's from the same family that caused the deadly SARS epidemic 17 years ago. It's a new type of... China says the number of people infected by a mysterious respiratory virus has more than tripled over the weekend. There are now 218 confirmed cases... Two of the new patients from the same family in England have tested positive for coronavirus. The first cases to be recorded in Britain. The number of worldwide cases of this new... While Manchester City fans were focused on their side's 2-0 win over Sheffield United on the 29th of December, one of the biggest news stories of a generation was brewing in China. That was the night the first case of a pneumonia-like virus was reported in Hubei province. Less than four weeks later, there were cases in 26 countries, including Italy, Germany, France and the UK, and more than 250 people had died from the virus. At the moment, it's still entirely possible that we may be in a position where the Chinese authorities manage to get on top of this infection. The biggest risk to us is actually if the efforts in mainland China don't succeed in maintaining the infection and restricting it to China, and if many other countries then have widespread outbreaks of infection. That's Professor Paul Cosford from Public Health England speaking in early February. At this stage, life was carrying on as normal. But then, in early March, it was announced Arsenal manager Mikel Arteta tested positive for coronavirus. And then, in the next few hours, it was revealed three Leicester players were self-isolating with symptoms and Chelsea's Callum Hudson-Odoi had the virus too. That meant the inevitable happened. Good afternoon and welcome to Sky Sports News. The Premier League, Football League and Women's Super League is suspended until April the 3rd due to coronavirus. We'll be live to Premier League headquarters in just a moment. Well, Celtic trained this morning, but since then... City's tie with Arsenal was the first to be postponed, as the Arsenal squad had come into contact with the Olympiacos owner, who later displayed symptoms. Liverpool's Champions League tie with Atletico Madrid the next night went ahead, but by Friday the 13th of March, the Premier League was suspended for at least three weeks. But that restart date was never really going to happen. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. That's UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson speaking on March the 23rd. You should not be meeting friends. If your friends ask you to meet, you should say no. You should not be meeting family members who do not live in your home. You should not be going shopping except for essentials like food and medicine. And you should do this as little as you can. As the rest of the world battled to slow the spread of COVID-19, disagreements began to arise about what should happen in football. Should the season be paused until it's safe to finish with fans? What about behind closed doors games? Should the season be abandoned and the current standings count? Should it be decided on points per game? Should it be voided entirely? Whatever the solution, somebody would lose out. So an agreement was hard to reach. Here's Sky Sports News reporter Kavi Solikol. One senior source at a club just a few minutes ago uh, said to me, I can't see any chance we are back in three weeks. This will go on for months. You wonder even about the start of next season. I would say there's a 75% chance 
that this season will not be completed. Then Euro 2020 was postponed for a year. The Olympics went the same way. And for the first time since the Second World War, the Wimbledon Tennis Championships were cancelled. Just weeks after boasting about shaking hands with coronavirus patients, Prime Minister Boris Johnson was admitted to intensive care with COVID-19. At City, Pep Guardiola lost his mum to the virus too. In the weeks that followed, steps were taken to get players back into training. First they were wearing masks and working individually, and then it was no contact training. Then it stepped up further, as reporter Geraint Hughes explains. Well, yesterday, government published their guidelines on step two return to training, contact training. So as far as football is concerned, means they, they can tackle one another. They can share some equipment and initially can work in groups of two or three before perhaps, when the time is right, moving to a larger group of four to 12 players. After weeks of testing players and staff, and after successful behind-closed-doors games in Germany, it was confirmed the Premier League would be back on June the 17th, though fans wouldn't be in the stadiums. Brian Swanson is from Sky Sports News. As soon as we had confirmation that clubs had unanimously agreed to contact training, this was the next logical step. Because you've got contact training, then it's going to be the same replicated out on the pitch. So it seems that that agreement has been reached for that restart date, which gives clubs, what, about three weeks to partake in contact training, should they wish, prior to the return of the Premier League matches. That brings us to where we are now with City's game against Arsenal to be played next Wednesday. Their FA Cup quarter-final tie at Newcastle is pencilled in for Sunday the 28th of June and the second leg of their Champions League match with Real Madrid is provisionally set for the beginning of August. Hi, this is Nader Manuha and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Sam Roscoe looking at the return of football there. Um, a city return to action next week and will become one of the first teams to play a Premier League match in the month of June. So tick that off as another record broken for Pep Guardiola and his team. Uh, Dan, you're in Germany. So what's, uh, what's, what's the reaction been like to the Bundesliga return? It's been better than I expected, actually. I mean, I thought the whole um, House of Cards was going to come tumbling down um, pretty soon after the, well, before the, the football even started back, actually. Dynamo Dresden, who were a team in the second division here, had to miss their very first game back when um, one of their players tested positive, or it might have been two of their players, and the whole squad had to had to isolate, basically. So I thought, you know, this is going to be a nightmare to, to get going, but there haven't really been any other incidents since then. But um the coronavirus situation is so different in Germany compared to, to what it is in England. It really can't be understated that. I mean, you can you have to wear a, a mask on public transport here and in the supermarket. But apart from that, everything's kind of back to normal. You know, you can go, you can drink inside pubs, outside pubs. You can go to normal shops now. So it's 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 sort of you know difficult to compare the two. I mean, we talked on the Patreon show this week about the uh, lack of fans at, at uh, that City CSK and Moscow game. Has that been a problem in the Bundesliga? A, l- a little bit, yeah. Well, I watched a game at the weekend, um, Dortmund v Hertha Berlin, and for the first time that I watched the game with artificial crowd noise, and I thought it would be terrible, and it was actually really good. Like, you you almost sort of forget that the stadium is empty, and I think with German football, you know, the, the sort of rhythm- rhythmic crowd noise is, is a big part of the, the game, so you, you really miss it when it's not there. And I liked it, and it, it was sort of like, 
made the game feel a bit more real. Um, and I've actually just looked at a picture. That it's the um, La Liga is starting back tonight in, in Spain. It's the uh, Seville derby. And they've kind of got this thing where they've like superimposed fans into the stadium and it looks absolutely dreadful. It looks like <laughs> one of those sort of magic eye paintings. You know, when you look at it for a long time, you see like a horse jumping over a fence or something. It, it looks dreadful. Um, I mean, the, the other thing with Germany with the, with the no fans is that home advantage is basically non-existent now. Um, defending has been really sloppy and I don't know if that is a bit of like the players just aren't quite on edge as they would be with a crowd but a lot of the games have been kind of high tempo entertaining stuff and I think the the five subs rule has really alleviated a bit of pressure on the players as well so there's not players getting injured every five minutes like people thought they might be well uh, I'm interested to get your views on on uh, it restarting Gaz as well because uh, James asks on Twitter uh, do the panel feel the same way as 90% of fans that this is an absolute money grabbing farce that the only people really behind this going ahead without fans are people like Sky and the betting companies. Um, I, I'm not sure it's not. It's as high as 90%, is it? Is that some independent polling, James? <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is, isn't it? I mean, I, you know, I, I'm much less interested because for me, football's about going to the game. Um, but you'll still yeah. watch, I see. Still watch it, yeah. Um but and it and it does sort of relegate it more to sort of like a TV show as opposed to a, uh, a, a you know as a as a, as a sort of live as, as an experience. But like, I guess you kind of have to sort of operate from a from a position of like you're not going to get live games on, so it's not like it's not like you're sacrificing one for the other, is it? That's just not going to happen whether or not you have these games on telly in front of empty stadiums so then you've just got to sort of say well you know is it better than nothing i suppose it is providing that it's you know that, that it's as safe as they're assuring as it is right well uh, city take on arsenal next week and uh, there's only one thing we can do really to celebrate the return of the premier league it's a quick quiz on the return of the premier league but you didn't see that coming did you Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, that's it. A quick quiz on the return of the Premier League. You know the drill by now. Uh, there's six questions, three each. The winner is the one who scores the most, and we've got a tie-break question in there just in case we need it as well. Uh, Dan, I'm going to let you pick a number first. What do you want? One, uh, one to six? Uh, I'll go five. Uh, question number five. Uh, City are on four consecutive missed penalties in the Premier League. Kevin De Bruyne scored in the Champions League, but who last converted from the spot in the Premier League for City? Ooh, um, Gabriel Jesus? It was not Gabriel Jesus, no, it was Ilkay mm-hmm. Gundogan. Oh, yeah. um, since, since he scored, Sterling, Gundogan, Jesus and Aguero have all missed. So uh, a miss for you. Uh, Gals, what number are you having? Uh, six, please. Uh, number six, uh, Manchester United. And which other team have beaten City home and away in the Premier League this season? Um... Wolves. It is Wolves. Uh, they won 2 0 at the Etihad and uh, 3 2 at Molyneux. So 1 0 to Gaz. Dan, what are you having? Uh, two. Can uh, we no. take a minute just to applaud uh, <laughs> that Wolves team for that <laughs> <laughs> We can indeed. Now, question number two. Uh, who were the last team that City beat in the Premier League? Uh, that was Leicester. It was Leicester. 1 0 on the 22nd yep. of February. 1 0. Gaz, what are you having? Uh, what was. What's left? Uh, one, three, and four. Uh, one. Uh, number one, who scored City's last Premier League goal? Uh, I 
can't remember. Aguero. It wasn't. It was Gabriel Jesus in that win at Leicester. <laughs> uh, okay. So still 1-1. Uh, Dan, this, uh, this this could put you in the lead right at the death. What are you having? I'll take four, please. Uh, number four. What has been the highest position in the table that City have had at the end of a round of matches this season? Second? It's not. No, they were first after the opening weekend. But oh, it's the only course, time yeah. they've been first, yeah. That was rubbish. So, uh, Gaz, you can win it with this one. Uh, question number three. How many of City's home games will be played behind closed doors for the remainder of this season? Um, five. Oh, it's so close. It's six. Uh, which means it's one all, which means we've got the tiebreak question coming to, uh, come into force now. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, the 11th of June. So, the tiebreak is... For how many days have City now been reigning Premier League champions? Dan, what you, give us a number. What are you having? Um, 378. Gaz, what are you going for? Nearest wins. Oh, 379. Uh, of course they have, because it's 788. They've been champions since the 15th of April oh, 2018. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe you let that one slip, Dan. <laughs> Well, Gaz did I too, was at the so. advantage then of being able to go. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Fun and games. Um, Let myself down there. Yeah. So uh, City take on Arsenal on uh, on Wednesday night. Um, I, in all seriousness, Gaz, can you even remember how you were feeling about this season? Yeah. I mean, well. Actually, yeah, and like uh, more optimistic than most because like the league's gone, but you know uh, we were probably favourites in in the two cup competitions which we had left. So uh, I was actually quite I'd come to terms with not winning the league and looking forward to racking those up if possible. Um, yeah, um, but obviously this one being a league game would have been you know of, of less interest. Although although. I, I would have been interested, you know, to make sure our sort of rhythm was right. Get a good, you know, get a win against a good side, a good team going into, uh, you know, the cup matches. Yeah. Um. Well, just to recap in terms of the the Premier League picture, Dan, City are second, twenty five points behind Liverpool. They've got a game in hand. If City win, Liverpool will win the title with two wins. City versus Liverpool is their third game, so they could have won the title by the time that City Liverpool game comes around. And I suppose, in a weird way, not being in the stadium, you don't really care anymore, do you? No, I don't, I don't care about the league sort of stuff at all at, at this point, really. I mean, I, I will watch it when it's on TV. Um, I mean, I remember thinking uh, before the break that I kind of just wanted to, to sort of finish the league season strongly, maintain the rhythm, you know, hopefully win the Champions League, hopefully win the FA Cup. And they did have like quite a good run, didn't they? They, they, they lost that game at Spurs and they beat West Ham, Leicester, Real Madrid, Sheffield Wednesday. Then there was the derby when they were dreadful and that was that was really disappointing. Um, so yeah, obviously the league is is well well and truly gone. Um, I don't really care when Liverpool win it either. It just it's just inevitable, isn't it? It's going to happen. So um, so yeah, we're just going to have to accept it. Yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, of the feeling towards the games, though, guys. I mean, it, it, I, I, are you one of these that's excited to have it back, or is it one of the one of the kind of things that it is back? So I'll watch it. But if it wasn't back, I wouldn't really mind, sort of thing. Yeah, the latter really. Um... Particularly, like I said, particularly with regards to the the, the Premier League, um, uh, I'm not. <laughs> I've got a young family, um, and uh, you know, through sort of like working, homeschooling. The, the fact that 
you know, the fact that it's actually summer as well, you know, you kind of realise that, like, you, you, when the football's not on, the weather's nice and you're sort of doing things and stuff. You're not, there's not really a void in my, you know, the void in my life which sort of needs to be filled by, by football. So, um, no, I'm not particularly uh, bothered. But that said, you know, I'm not going to be, like, completely ignoring it. I'll, I'll, I'll probably engage with it, you know, just like, you know, just like a, I suppose a TV show or whatever. <laughs> yeah, Danny, do you think this is the best outcome finishing it behind closed doors? I think so. Yeah, I mean, you look at in France, uh, League Earn cancelled their season like over a month ago now. I think it was, and that, that that felt way too early at the time. And I think they're really having buyer's remorse about it now because everyone else is sort of getting back to it, and they're the only sort of top European league that aren't aren't doing it. So you know, Liverpool deserve the title, and I think other clubs deserve to be promoted or relegated on football in merit rather than you know points per game or, or whatever they were going to do. And I think it's also as we spoke about. Um, on the podcast before it's it's nice to know that like the Aguero uh, records that he's broken this season they're going to remain intact yeah. and we still have the chance to win two more trophies to add to Guardiola's haul but I mean in terms of the actual like I said I'm not really bothered about the league I'm not that bothered about the, the Champions League and the FA Cup really that's going to feel weird I think you you tweeted Gas about um, the FA Cup final could be like a Manchester derby play behind closed doors and that'll be the weirdest thing ever and the same <laughs> with the Champions League that, it's yeah. It's going to be like an empty feeling if we win the Champions League. I mean, they're talking about that being played over like one weekend as like a mini tournament in in uh, Lisbon, I think is the, the, the shout now. And, you know, even if we win that, people are going to put an asterisk next to it in the same way people will with the Liverpool title and say it doesn't really count. And playing the games without without fans is going to be be a bit weird as well. It's going to feel about like going through the motions a bit. In fact, the um, the the ex-Barcelona and Spain coach, Luis Enrique, was speaking recently and he said football without fans is like dancing with your sister, which I think was quite a nice way to sum it up. Yeah. Um, Gaz, in, in terms of um, City-Arsenal, uh, how, how do you fancy this one to go? Because, I mean, it's it, it's so long since either of them have, have played properly. Uh, I was thinking about this before. I think... For, I mean, for a start, we're a much better side than they are. Um, so you'd have to fancy us on, on that count. Also, I kind of feel like um, the way the way in which we play is so... Uh, how should I put it? Like, you'd imagine that, like, City probably play closer to the, how they do in training than any other team in the league. Do you know what I mean? It's all very... Um, precise and mechanical. Kind of methodical. Yeah, exactly. So I think sort of translating that to uh, a sort of more sterile atmosphere won't be, you know, won't be, won't be too difficult. Um, there's an, I mean, open, there's, a, there's, 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 there's an empty there's ad open goal there. Oh, yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but not to say, I mean, like, you know, we, I mean, but then I get the sense that, you know, we, people like to sort of cast... Cast City as well as being like um, idiots will do this, like sort of autonomous and sort of de- you know devoid of sort of invention and stuff. I mean that's not true as well at the same time, and there's 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 plenty of, of that amongst our players. But like, I think in terms of like sheer professionalism, uh, we, you know, City are probably more so than any other team in the league. So I, I think I think we'll be well equipped for it. Yeah, the uh, the hunt to Liverpool starts here, Dan. Absolutely, yeah. Well, Arsenal played Brentford at a friendly at the Emirates last night and got beat three two. So they looked a bit a bit uh, rusty in that game. David Luiz, <laughs> pretty shocking. I don't know if you saw that. Clip, oh, I saw that. Been, yeah, <laughs> doing the rounds on social media, and it's also been announced tonight that Anthony Taylor is going to be the referee. So 
that'll be interesting. But at least he's not going to have Altrigum to distract him this time. <laughs> <laughs> right, so well, uh, with the return of the action comes the return of the charity bet as well. Each of the panel is getting a £10 correct score single from William Hill, and the winnings are going to the Christie, which looks after and treats people with cancer at all of its various stages. As you can imagine, the COVID-19 pandemic has made their work even harder as well. So far this season, we've raised £750. Um, uh, Dan, I'm going to start with you. What are you having? I'll go 2 1 City. 2 uh, 1 City is 7 to 1, so £70 if you're right. I've gone for 3 1, which is uh, 17 to 2, so £85 if I'm right. Gaz, what are you having? Add 4 1, please. 4 1 is uh, 14 to 1, so £140 if you're right. Uh, please remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change, and for more information on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. Now it's competition time. We've got three copies of the new David Silver El Mago book available to win. All you've got to do is answer the following question and send it with your full name and postal address to us on email, which is bluemoonpodcast at gmail.com. The question is, what is David Silver's squad number at City? It really is that simple. So send us your answer with your name and your postal address to bluemoonpodcast at gmail.com. Entries must be received by 11pm UK time on Wednesday the 17th of June to have a chance and uh, winners will be announced on next next week's show so tune in to find out if you are one of our lucky winners of one of those three David Silver books. Now if you were to look at the stats of how the two teams have been performing this season you'd find it difficult to believe that City are 25 points behind Liverpool and on the verge of surrendering the title. I've been speaking to football journalist Richard Jolly who's been looking at the numbers to find out how much better Liverpool have really been and why the gap this season is so big. It's a good question and I think the answer's probably multifaceted. In some respects you look at the table and it says 25 points better, and that is a huge gulf, a record-breaking gulf. In other respects, no, they're not that much superior. But what they've done is they've just had the consistency that, to a certain extent, no one else has had to this extent, but that City themselves came close to in the last two seasons. And one of the reasons they've done that is that Liverpool have been very, very good at winning tight games. Liverpool have won 14 games by one goal margins, normally 1-0 or 2 one occasionally 3-2. City have only won five by one goal margins. When City have beaten teams, sometimes they've gone on and hammered them. But there have been other times where they've lost and drawn games. And they, in, in most of the cases where they've dropped points, you would think that they ought to have won the game because by most objective markers, they've been the better team. They've had the most shots, they've had the most possession, they've played pretty well for most most elements of it, but they haven't won. Um, and it's clearly something that's frustrated Pep Guardiola. It's had comparisons with his first seasons in that respect, and I think the difference really lies in the word efficiency. Liverpool have been incredibly efficient at both ends of the pitch, both in terms of scoring goals at one end and keeping them out at the others. And City have had some games where they've been very efficient, but not enough. It's funny because I, I, you mentioned the tight games and the, the tight games I think of for City in the in certainly the, the two title winning seasons they've had recently, they've always found a way to to, to just eke the points out of those games. Whereas this year, I mean, the two that spring to mind, Norwich at Carrow Road, tight game that City went on to lose, and uh, Newcastle at, uh, at St. James's, a tight game where it looked like City had won and they, they conceded a last-minute goal. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I remember that period in about October, November 2017, where I think they had three or four games in a row where they kept finding a late goal. It was normally Raheem Sterling against clubs like West Ham and Huddersfield and Southampton. 
this year, I think Liverpool have got six late winners. Um, and on the, the other side of things, they haven't conceded a costly late goal. Um, whereas, and they've got a late equaliser at Old Trafford as well that you can add to that. City have had the, a, a, a series of games, and you've mentioned two of them, but you can talk about Crystal Palace, you can talk about Tottenham, the Tottenham draw. Um, you, you can talk about virtually every time they've dropped points, the Wolves home game where, you know, for a period of time you thought, well, the worst happen here from a City perspective is that they'll draw nil-nil. Um, and had they been playing the way they'd done to, a couple of years ago, they'd have found a late way of nicking it. And instead you have the absolute opposite and Wolves go and score two late goals. And I think that's been infuriating for Guardiola. It's been a lack of a clinical instinct at times and I think that to win the league you often have to, you don't always have to be the outstanding team for all of every game but you have to win big moments and that was something City did for for two years brilliantly and it's something Liverpool have done this season uh, again brilliantly and it's been at both ends of the pitch for them because sometimes it's been Alisson in goal who's who's produced the big moment and sometimes it's been the player at the other end and I don't think City have had that as consistently do the do City's numbers, in a strange way, kind of mask over the problems they've had this season? Because I, I, I look at City's defence and I feel like they're very, very vulnerable. And yeah, in terms of expected goals against, it, it doesn't look that bad. Now, in terms of expected goals against, it's actually better than Liverpool's, which is something that surprised me. And it's not something I think the naked eye would show. Um I think part of the problem is is when you concede goals and how you concede goals. Um, obviously, City have an issue whenever Edison doesn't play and that Claudio Bravo will concede to most shots on target. Um, Edison himself has had a bit of a strange season in that he's been very, very good in some games. But he does have some games where the opposition have two shots and they score two goals. And it, once again, that is an echo of City's uh, first season under Guardiola um, I think to a certain extent with a team like City they're never going to get that high in expected goals against figure because they have the ball so much and they attack so much but it's partly the manner of the goals they concede and some of that has looked very damning and the Norwich game you mentioned earlier is a real case in point all of the goals that day I think looked terrible really um, and um, and then at the other end from City are the top scorers in the league. But again, it comes down to big moments and not just how many you score and concede, but when you score and concede. And, you know, for City scoring a seventh and an eighth goal against Watford, fine. They're great for people there that day. Good for the goal difference, all the rest of it. But really, they'd have rather those goals had come in other, in other games. They feel a really inefficient team this season a team who who've been wasteful at times um in both penalty boxes i think between the penalty boxes you could make an argument that they've been the best team in all four seasons under guardiola but in the penalty boxes they've only been the best team in two um to go back to uh, the notion of expected goals um and um, I don't say that the figures there are the be-all and end-all. They don't reveal everything. But I think they're an interesting marker and they're something we can bring in. And I was having a look at them for the City squad. And they've only got four players in the entire squad who've scored more goals than their expected goals suggest they should. In other words, according to the quality of their chances, they've scored more. And those four are Aguero, De Bruyne, Mares, and Rodri. 
um, which means everyone else, Gabriel Jesus, Raheem Sterling, both Silvers, Ilkay Gundogan, every single defender has scored fewer than they should. And again, that, that, that shows they're missing chances. What that doesn't show is they're missing them in certain key moments. And you look at the Newcastle game, um, the two all there, the Tottenham two all, where City had so many chances, and you just need someone in one of those games to take that extra chance. But then maybe that those statistics look better over the course of the entire season. When it comes to the title race, then I mean, obviously it's it's pretty much over. It's as good as over. Um, what does City need to do for next season to to go about getting the title back? I think it's a difficult one because if we'd had this conversation three or four months ago, you could draw up a list of positions where they would have wanted to strengthen um, and where possibly the only thing that might have stopped them strengthening would be the impact on their finances of the possible European ban. Now, obviously, you have a second impact on the finances in terms of um, coronavirus and what that's done to the game's economics. And there's no way that even clubs with City's resources are likely to go out and make four or five big signings. Um, so what they then have to do is try and find the answer within, to a certain extent, um, to try and improve players they already have, or in some cases get them back to the form they were in. I mean, I think Bernardo Silva's a case in point, someone who had a far, far better season last season than this season. I think definitely they need to show a greater consistency, which they've proved in the past they can. I think defensively, they obviously do need to be better next season than this season, though clearly that will help from having Imeric Laporte back. And if you can then get his partnership, maybe with John Stones back to the way it was in the first half of last season, maybe with maybe with Fernandinho, that will be one way of improving things. Um, to go back to the comment about Liverpool and being freakishly good, no one carries on the level of form they've been on forever, no matter how good a team you are. They could end this season with 109 points, but they won't get 109 next year at all. But the counterside to that is that City look like they will probably end this season with something in the region of 75 to 80. 75 to 80 will not win them next season's title. Um, so they've then got to find a way of getting that extra 10 or 15 to get up to around the 90 mark. Um, and they've got to do so with the current group of players, minus David Silva, of course. Um, whether that allows Bernardo to play more in midfield, we'll have to see. Whether that permits Phil Foden to have a breakthrough season there. Um, they also have the issue of, of what happens with Leroy Sane, which I think has taken quite a lot away from them. He, he gave them an extra dimension um, in the previous couple of seasons and obviously hasn't been able to do so this year. Um, so all in all, it adds up to a very difficult balancing act um, with a lot of boxes to tick for City to reclaim the title. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Richard Jolly speaking to me there. Now we're going to finish with Ask the Panel. Send in your questions for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well through the website bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, David Gaskill is first up on Twitter. Uh, do you think Guardiola will extend his contract at City if they fail their appeal? Dan? No, I don't think so. I, I would be surprised if he did anyway, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I've always thought that this would be his last year. Sorry, next year will be his last year. Um, I think he's he's sort of 
going to be ready for a new challenge at that point. He's, he's had a great time at City. He's been very successful. He's, he's worked at a club where everything's been kind of made for him, you know, with, with Begueristan and Soriano. Um, but I, I, th- I think he fancies something else and I think he's going to go to Italy and I think probably Juventus are sniffing around him and, and I, I would imagine that would happen um, regardless of, of how this appeal goes. Cass, do you think it's it's not a matter of whether City win or lose at, at Cass? Uh, no, yeah, I think he's going. He's going to take up a, a a League Two job so, you know, to, to convince people that he's a <laughs> talent manager. Yeah, of course. Um, Adam Carter on Twitter asks, what do the panel think our new assistant manager will bring and does the rumoured short-term contract further cement that Pep isn't sticking around? Yeah, so this is uh, Juan Malillo, uh, the new guy they've got in. He's um, Well, the first thing, he's got a decent head of hair for a 54-year-old, so that's something the coaching staff has been missing since, um, <laughs> so, since Arteta like left. Yeah, so this guy, I, I did a little bit of research on him. He, he started coaching, uh, he never played professionally, but he started coaching when he was 16, and he was managing Salamanca in La Liga before he turned 30. Um, Guardiola had him as his coach when Guardiola was playing at Dorados in Mexico towards the end of his career. And he's since that, that, must, that must have been when he picked him over uh, uh, when Stuart Pearce didn't give him a contract to City. I think it would have been, yeah, yeah. I was reading something the other day actually. Apparently, Guardiola had a chance had a chance there at that point and before that to go to United as well. And at both times, he thought, "No, nah, I'm over the hill. I'm not good enough to play for them," and decided against it, which I, I thought was a, a, a rare bit of kind of honesty that you see in football. <laughs> but but yeah, Leo was as uh, he, he's coached in Spain and Latin America. His last job was at um, I think I'm saying this right, Qingdao Huanghai in China, where he was coaching Yaya Torre. Would you believe? The city the connections just keep racking up. Exactly, yeah. So, so yeah, he's got a, a one-year deal at City. He's basically going to be a direct replacement for Mikel Arteta. Um, I think he's like football philosophy, for want of a better word, is very similar to Pep's. I, th- I think he was like a big in- inspiration of Pep's. And there was a story this week, actually, that, that said that some of the senior players had, had told the club that they needed like a fresh voice. And I don't know if, if that says much about Rodolfo Burrell, the guy who was kind of promoted to... Um, to replace Arteta initially or whether maybe they were growing a little bit tired of Guardiola shouting at them all the time and you don't know Leo could be the the kind of guy to give him a bit of fresh impetus and get them back on track next season which is kind of what Arteta did when he came in so um, I think it seems like a pretty solid appointment it'd be be interesting to see how it goes yeah Um, Paul Furlong on Facebook asks for the remainder of the season what effort should City put into fringe youth players who may be looking elsewhere if City won't give them an opportunity Dan what do you reckon I think, you know, I've said it for, for quite a while now that I think Foden should be starting every game or between now and the end of the season, really. I, I don't see any excuse for him not to in the league, certainly. Um, if, if that's not going to be the case, which it probably won't be, let's be honest, but with, with the, the five subs rule, you'd like to think that he would get plenty more minutes. Um, the same goes for Eric Garcia. I'd like to see him getting a few runouts before the end of the season. I think he's got to be considered above Otamendi in the pecking order now. You've changed um, your I don't know if I have. I've gone on a right turn coat, aren't I? Yeah. yeah. I just changed changed my opinion based on evidence, David. That's oh, that's, I mean, I'll, I'll accept that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure any any of the other youth players are really considered ready for first team action at the moment. And, you know, you have also got to remember that if, if we do want to win the Champions League and win the FA Cup, the players are still going to need regular rhythm. Um, so the league games can't just be treated as a total DOS where they just put a team of kids out because it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, finally, Gaz, uh, Joseph Hirsch on Twitter asks, who do you think has been our best pairing of wingers? You've watched City and followed City much longer than I have. I've only been able to watch the likes of Nazarit, Navas, Sane, Sterling, Mares, etc. So uh, let, let, let's each build on our uh, on, our, on our time as watching City and, and kind of throw up some best wingers. The best, like objectively the best pair um, sort of working together 
was Sterling and Sane um, at the end of uh, the Centurions season. Um, that because that, like that, they were actually playing, well, you know, like modern wingers, you know, as as part of a front three, but like they 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 were playing out wide on their correct um, side as well, I guess, really, because yeah. left footer on the left, right foot on the right. Um, and I don't think we've sort of played with a pair of wingers sort of since then. I mean, but largely because Bernardo's been part of the front three who doesn't really operate that way. Um, it, like, but like, obviously, uh, I'm trying to think sort of less objectively and, and, and more in terms of like, uh, fun. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I suppose Cook and Kennedy um, together. Uh trying to think of others really i because i for my time watching city i can only really think of them having one naturally wide player at any any kind of real time i i always think of sean wright phillips as a wide player but there was nobody on the left to kind of balance that out there was like a whole a period between like i think it was after kennedy left the club where we didn't have like a a permanent left winger on the books for like i think honestly i think it was like four four or five years because we had like riera and the sampa in that spot for the, like the, the seasons after that, and they were they were loan signings. And then as soon as Martin Petrov arrives, there's nobody on the right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. I was going to say, I remember when we uh, when we got Sean Wright Phillips, and we already had Petrov, and I thought, well, this is it. We've sorted it now. And I'm pretty sure Petrov got injured in the warm up of Sean Wright Phillips's first game back. I could be wrong about that, but I'm sure Petrov was ruled out for months afterwards, and they never really played together. Um, and the one that always sticks in my mind with Sean Wright Phillips as well is when we won at Stamford Bridge, the famous Wayne Bridge, John Terry handshake game. Yeah. And we had Sean Wright Phillips on one side and Craig Bellamy on the left. And I think Wright Phillips actually set up a Bellamy goal with a, cross, uh, a ball across the box and Bellamy tucks it in at the back post. Yeah, but Bellamy, I mean, Bellamy's not a winger though, is he? It doesn't really count. He did play, he did play wide left for us mostly though, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose really, you're probably going back to then to kind of like Peter Beagrie and Nicky Summerby, are you? I was going to say it's Summerby, wasn't on the other side, and, and I don't think Nicky Summerby was a great footballer. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, on that note, uh, I think we'll uh, we'll call it there. Um, Project Restart, the Blue Moon podcast is over, and uh, we're back to where we were when we left off. Thanks to my guests this week, to Dan Burke. Always a pleasure. And to Gaz. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, if you'd like some more, then you can get a bonus show each week by signing up to supporters through Patreon. Each is a minimum of 20 minutes in length, and it's just $2 per month, or about £1.56 in UK terms. And for that, you'll get four to five shows each month as well. This week's is all about how fans can influence matches. If you've enjoyed today's show, then don't forget to give it a rating and a review in all the usual places. I'll be back next week. I'll see you then. Was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.